What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. On this episode of the Wedgecast, I'm hanging out with Don Charlton. He is the current CEO and founder of a company called Goalie. He is the former CEO and he's still a board member of Jazz HR. He is one of the most curious, like innovative people that I've met and chatted with. Uh, on this episode, he dives in a little bit to his background, kind of in the graphic design world, tech world, and how that ultimately helped him emerge to grow multiple businesses and he's just an influential guy in the tech space and and you know ultimately building a business and not necessarily known for a place uh you know for tech startups but has raised capital you know collaborated with a lot of people to bring that to an area that's just amazing so all that to say this is an awesome episode i had an absolute blast doing it learned a lot from a guy who i hope to accomplish half the things he's done in his career thanks for being a guest don well don thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast Hey, it's fantastic, you know, to be, I guess, virtually here. So I look forward to the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, it's been a fun organization to get to know with Jazz HR, fun partnership for us to build. And, you know, obviously uh, you are the original founder of the organization. And so I'd love just to hear your background, your story, and then what led you up to that and, and, and other things that you're working on. Got it. Well, first, let me say, uh, you know, we appreciate partnering with you. Um, we've done a great job, I think, in the last couple of years of really kind of establishing strong partnerships across the recruiting ecosystem. So, you know, kudos to your team and the Jazz HR team for um, putting together what I hope will be a fruitful partnership. Yeah, so, you know, my entrepreneurial background is um, uh, so I'm 42, um, which means I had a full childhood without the Internet. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, when I went to college, the, the, the internet was a thing. I actually, I'm from a small town in southwestern Pennsylvania, so I actually, part of me thought the internet existed prior. I just went to a bigger city and, and discovered it. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so I went to school for uh, what, uh, graphic design, which eventually became web design. And um, what, what um, I've seen, you know, more recently with a lot of companies is, you know, in many ways, whenever you get into the world of web design as a young person and you're basically designing websites and so forth, you, you really kind of um, start to understand sort of how websites and web apps are built. And around um, 10 years into my career, I um, started wondering where 65-year-old designers worked. And I, was, I had anxiety about the idea of, you know, do I have to start my own firm in order to be able to live comfortably as an adult? Um, so I was about 28 when I started having these anxieties. And I saw, um, you know, TechCrunch and uh, some of these uh, early blogs um, uh, when they were still owned by the founders were talking about these young people on the West Coast who were essentially, you know, just basically publishing um, web apps online and making a whole bunch of money. And I felt like I had the same mix of skills. Um, so, um, you know, I, I can romanticize today why I chose recruiting, but I think, um, you know, my DNA was I wanted a recurring revenue business. I call it my founder DNA. Um, and um, I also wanted to empower small businesses. And, um, you know, recruiting um, kind of came to me whenever I was looking at um, uh, basically how do I help people screen resumes very quickly. Um, and, um, you know, the rest is kind of history from there. Started, uh, you know, kind of just stumbled through the world of um, uh, creating a web app and a business around it, had some luck along the way. And, you know, I started Resumator and that grew. And we eventually rebranded to Jazz HR, raised, uh, raised some money. Um, and today it's, uh, you know, at least one of the top three, you know, three to five recruiting solutions in the, in the U.S. for uh, small business recruiting. So it's been exciting. It's a it's a special company too. So I want to I want to go back to uh, when you originally started to get your degree in graphic design. So when you picked that, that evolved into web design. What was your? Uh, I think you used the term romanticizing. When you went into graphic design, like what were you picturing yourself as what you wanted to do twenty years from then? Oh, geez. I, well, well, I would say being that young, um, you. you as far as you're concerned, 20 years from now, I was old, so you're not even thinking about that, right? But I'd say in the, near term, what I, in the near term, what I was looking at was, I, I was always a really good artist growing up, and um, my guidance counselors in school and so forth had, they pushed me to get out of my small town. They also um, introduced me to this new idea of graphic design, which was basically, you know, the, the, the application of creativity in the most commercial form. So, um you know, I really kind of got into it because, and thinking that I was going to be designing brochures and logos and basically a whole bunch of print stuff. And I always make the joke with people that um, when I went when I went off to college, I thought I was going to be working in pikas, and by the time I graduated, I was working in pixels. So it, you know, you go from the, um, the 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 benefit of doing print design is you get to work with paper and and create brand logos that the that you know basically the entire world gets to know and and you get this physical copy of something to digital art where it can disappear if somebody changes their website but there was one benefit sometimes print jobs have color limitations like you got a two color job 
when I went to the web, I had the full spectrum, or, or at least, I'm sorry, I had about 256 colors at the time because that's how long ago I was doing web design. What, um, is, it, dude, what, is, it, what is it up to now? Oh, millions, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, so you, start, yeah. you start with two on paper is a little different than like the you know, hundreds of thousands or millions you have now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. But there, there, there's a discipline to making communications clear whenever you're just dealing with a couple colors. There is actually a discipline to that, which is very interesting. So where did the heart come from? So I'm tracking a, a pretty interesting story in the fact that you had the creativity mindset and then evolved into, you know, following some probably hit stories of tech crunch companies and, you know, some, some bloggers that are making some home runs as far as financial gain. But then you also have this heart for small businesses. Where did that come from? So the Jazz HR was actually the largest company I've ever worked for. Um, I worked at design at um, uh, founder-owned design agencies um, throughout my professional career as a designer. So I, I you know, I, from seeing during the hard times, my bosses, um, you know, uh, take out another loan on their mortgage, take out a mortgage loan against their house, to foregoing a salary during the tough times of the economy. Um, I've always kind of seen the business from the eyes not of a corporation. Um, but from the eyes of a small business owner. And, you know, uh, even to this day, like whenever I would go to Silicon Valley to to uh, pitch investors for capital, I'm always kind of in awe of walking into buildings where there's those, you know, 30 foot high uh, ground floors with the security guard out front and the the four elevator banks. That's just never been my world. And the idea of walking, going into that to be work was just so foreign to me that, you know, I've always kind of looked at business problems from the perspective of a small business owner, because that, that those are the only people outside of myself that I've ever seen operating businesses. It's crazy. It's crazy you say that. So I've, I've also, and I, I want to dive in uh, to this at some point, but I've also gone through the process of raising capital and I've been in different cities and stuff like that. And, you know, for example, I was touring Bloomberg uh, in, in New York uh, about a month ago. And I'm walking mm-hmm. in and just the scale and the magnitude of one, how many employees they have. Secondly, how big their offices is. And, mm-hmm. and just it, it's like, where does all the money come from to pay for this? Where does like how, how do you like how does anything happen? And how did this all, all come to be like skyscrapers for me are, are one business mm-hmm. that like is so foreign in concept that it's like, you know, I'm, I'm worried about uh, payroll for next month or the following month or figuring out cash flow. And then you stop and think about a legitimate skyscraper from a business. And yeah. so I, I totally yeah, can well, relate to you in that sense. Well, no, that what's interesting about that is, um, you know, I remember, I'll never forget. I was in a meeting in the company and um, uh, we were talking about um, purchasing something. And um, I think the price tag was 20 grand. And I remember saying, oh, 20 grand, that's actually not that bad. And then I told everybody in the room to stop for a second. And I said, I remember whenever we were struggling to pay, like we didn't want to pay $150 for HubSpot. And it made me realize that, you know, the scale of things, like, you know, just imagine, I, you know, our company now is in eight figures. So that means that, you know, the idea of generating over a million dollars, right, in revenue in any given month, like it, it, it just when you think about that, it just kind of blows your mind. And so you're right. Whenever you see like a building, 
<laughs> right? And you think about all of the stuff around make, making that building operational and so forth, or companies that have nine floors in that building, it just blows your mind. It's funny. Uh, I may or may not have been complaining about the HubSpot price tag about a month ago. So if that says anything about our scale. <laughs> and there you go. See, I love that. No, I mean, I, I can relate in the same. It just I, the concept of, you know, even stepping into the 10 million a year revenue standpoint, like I think we have a pretty cool trajectory and path to get there. But the scale mm-hmm. begins to step up, and just it, it's fascinating to learn the different size of things. And anyway, so I I, I love your reference to that. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I know that you interviewed Pete, and I think what what was really interesting about working with Pete was you know Pete operated with you know set, uh, nine figure digits. So seeing him come down one number was very interesting, and his ability to do it was very impressive. Um, we work in much smaller numbers than what Pete's used to, but um, he's done a fantastic job. Yeah, that's great. Yep. He's, it was fun to do a podcast with him and, and get to know him. And, and about a month ago, I had the chance of meeting a lot of people at the Boston office and, and the Pittsburgh office as well, too. So you guys have built a very, very amazing group of people. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be working with you. Um, so if you're, if you're all right with it, I'd love to transition a little bit into your experience of raising capital and, and, and the actual dollar amounts doesn't matter at all, but just what mm-hmm. you've learned from that, because I've gone through a couple of capital raises and I've yet to really run into anybody who says, hey, I really loved doing that. We got it done. It was painful. But, you know, what, what was your experience in the process of raising capital? Um, you know, I, I would say that... Um... Um, I, well, I think what was interesting about my experience with raising capital is um, I, I, it's almost like I had like, I don't want to say reverse problems, but um, but I, I kind of had like reverse problems. And I think, um, you know, my company um, sort of, I don't want to say took off, but it um, gained traction early with really interesting company. So a lot of people don't know this, but like Resumator was like the first, if not one of the first recruiting solutions for companies like Instagram, um, uh, Mashable, um, uh, the, uh, what else? Uh, Uber used us, uh, Dropbox, like Evernote, um, just basically a who's who list of Silicon Valley tech companies. Um, and that was just because I did some fun stuff where I was able to get lucky. I luckily got a relationship with Techstars and an indirect um, relationship with Y Combinator before they were so big that everybody was trying to work with them. And that halo of those brands and so forth actually meant that I was, you know, I really had a company that looked like it was going to be one of the, you know, more dominant recruiting solutions. Um, and that it was on to something, you know, like whenever those companies are using your product, you know, Silicon Valley and the investment community typically look, typically typically looks at that as okay. There's a there there, right? Um, so I had so it was interesting how I had like the the traction side of things really kind of figured out, right? In terms of gaining Which, traction from raising capital is arguably one of the most, if not the only, really 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 important one. I think there's plenty of other ones, but if you have traction, you can raise some money in a hurry. Exactly. So the, the reason why it was harder to raise money in a hurry is because I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was a single founder. And um, uh, maybe in some circles, I didn't pattern match to be your typical tech entrepreneur. 
so there was still there was a lot of risk in the business because um you know I wasn't geographically in a place where I could recruit good talent. There are a lot of things. Um and I think one last thing was being in Pittsburgh in that at there during that time frame, there weren't really a lot of us who kind of there wasn't anybody around me who could really tell me that, Dawn, you're on the field right now. Like what you have is you is rare. Being able to get, you know, Silicon Valley tech companies using your product in mass. So I think in my early stages, one of my biggest challenges was um, not operating and executing and, 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 and thrusting forward quickly because I had this great first mover advantage. Um, and it was because my perspective was from that small town. Um, you know, I've always kind of like pushed myself into new um, uh, uh, arenas. Um, I, I don't get led, I don't get guided and, and, and led into them. Um, so as a result, you kind of go in there with a little bit of ignorance and, you know, sometimes you miss opportunities or sometimes, you know, the, the you, um, you don't necessarily execute as well. But, um, what was, what was interesting though, was there was enough momentum that I was able to, to raise capital. So the, I think the, my challenges, you know, above all were really, you know, understanding how, rare it is to have a good product and how to build your story and build and, and basically be aggressive around the idea that you have traction and that you have a good product. Um, I think, you know, just, I, I was very humble in terms of um, the very early days of trying to um, tell my story and so forth, because when you come from Pittsburgh, you're looking for people to help you. Um, you're not thinking about the fact that you're actually doing much better than a lot of other people. Yeah, that's interesting you say that. Uh, so on the idea that um, you had these really heavy hitting names and brands and early growth companies using your product, was there this kind of, con was there this idea of FOMO? So you've got an Uber using your product and I'll just use that as an example. Um, and we can use another one if we need to, but it, it, you have this recognized name using it. Was it then all, all of a sudden people were like, well, if they're using it, I'm going to. And the same sense of capital, like, hey, if they're jumping in, I'm jumping in. Did you have this FOMO idea around your product and, and, and your business? Um, no, I, did, I, I didn't. I think maybe with, the, with customers, yes. I, I mean, you know, we did not, my company was, and even to this day, it's been 100% inbound. Um, so, you know, we didn't work hard to get a lot of those companies. And by the I mean, I could literally, like, if you if we played name a tech company that started around 2009 2011 they were a customer like we could play that game <laughs> um uh but the um i think the on the investment side um i think um you know the in terms of building a big business silicon valley tech companies will give you they'll put some shine on your business but you still have to figure out some of the other core components of your business in order to um, uh, uh, prove that you have a business that's going to scale. And one of the challenges in SMB recruiting is, um, especially whenever you're not doing sort of like what a zip recruiter does, which is kind of building the marketplace between candidates and, and um, jobs, is you have to prove that within the SMB space, you can create a, a sustainable business because there's always a kind of a fear of churn. And I think, um, when I when I, I was out raising my initial dollars, I think the idea of of the small business market as an attractive market for investment was in its infancy. Like nowadays, you have companies like Zenefits, 
um, and other services that have shown that you can scale massively um, on top of the um, the, uh, the the SMB uh, customer base. And, and now you see companies like Intercom and other folks who actually have an SMB uh, segmentation in their marketing materials and so forth. So I, you know, I, I think you know when I started my company. SMB and SaaS weren't necessarily something that people saw connecting very quickly. They knew that it was going to happen, but um, the timeline and the capital efficiency of it was TBD. But now SMB is a first-class citizen for software as a service. Well, that's, um, so I mean, three, I, I, I'm, I'm listening to you say that, saying, you know, if, if our business came into the market and where we're headed, I don't know if we would have been able to do that back 10 years ago. Now we're at now, it's a really attractive space for us and, and a lot of others. But it's interesting to hear you say that at the time, it wasn't as well adopted to go after a massive SMB market, which is funny because it is arguably one of the largest markets out there, just by sheer volume. Yeah, but, but and I also think that um, but the, the, the sophistication of understanding that market has changed because when you look at companies, even like companies like HubSpot, these companies were probably in the SMB space at the time, but remember, you're talking about and um, technology companies that, um, especially, you know, we have to admit that the the West kind of drives the, the the thematics, the themes rather that that are that kind of come out of, uh, or rather that we start to focus on as entrepreneurs in many ways, and um, you know, there was a theme of social, but that's but social. And it was really kind of be, uh, consumerization of uh, online interactions and so forth. That was, you know, you're going from like Yahoo chat or whatever to basically Flickr and so forth. And that was kind of where people were gravitating towards. And then there was always going to be enterprise software because you had sales forces and so forth of the world. So, you know, the I, during, I think, between 2009 and like 2000 and um, I want to say 14, that's really whenever SMB um, and SMB product, or rather, uh, products that were priced and positioned for small businesses to adopt them, really sort of came came into the world. Um, and you know, the investment community had to, you know, they would they had to see scale in some businesses. So I feel like Zendesk. Like I remember, um, I spoke with Christoph Jans, who was one of the first investors in Zendesk, um, and he. At the time when he was telling me that he was he he wanted to talk about my company and he was looking at this other company that he I think he just made an investment in it called Zendesk. Um, that company hadn't achieved any scale yet, right? But they proved that you could build an extremely scalable business on top on the backs of SMB customers. Um, but those data points didn't exist whenever I was you know in 2010 2011 necessarily. So. We'll transition a little bit because um, I want to hear also about, you know, the man behind the curtain, Don. So you have what I, it's been fun to listen because it's, it's this awesome, like curiosity about so many different things, but a niche focus in, in design and, you know, creativity standpoint, but also this hard for small businesses. So where did this whole, I, I guess, ultimately, I'll wrap this up into my favorite question in the world, but what is it that, I guess, gets you the most excited about, you know, what you've already accomplished and also where you're headed? I think what excites me is about what I have accomplished already. I'd say, let's just take it, like, first personally and then professionally, and then we'll look at the future professionally. So I'd say, you know, personally, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a – 
uh, I was a skinny kid from the housing projects in southwestern Pennsylvania. And, um, uh, you know, my, my, my vision of a good job was being a coal miner at the time. Um, I had a good guidance counselor told me to get the hell out of there and, and, go, to, and go get a good education. Um, and um, to be, you know, where I think a lot of people aspirationally want to be, and that is um, building a business and having a business in tech, in tech. Like, you know, all of our friends have, a, have the idea for an app. The, the Mark Zuckerberg story has been romanticized so much that most people would love to be able to think of an app that they can just put online and make a whole bunch of money. Um, so and as we, as, we, as we both know, as long as you have an idea, you can make millions and millions in like less than six months, right? That's how easy it is. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing though, right? It's, yes, of course. That's, that's exactly and In fact, six months, six months means you're just not working hard. Enough. I know, exactly. Well, I mean, that's the best part. When you've made all that money, you don't ever have to work. That's the irony, right? Um, but, um, you know, I think so that's personally. I think professionally the thing I'm most proud of is, um, is I, I think, the, the, you know, I, I would say there's two things. One is, you know, the idea that, um, you know, small businesses – are very vulnerable. Um, the 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 same way the the percentage impact that one employee has in a 50-person company um, is equal to the percentage damage that they could also inflict in a 50-person company. And um, being able to help small businesses recruit as if they had they already they hired somebody with the best practices and the capabilities of doing world class recruiting, um, thereby de risking those hires is something that I'm really proud of. I feel like um, I think uh, Pete just sent me an email that I think we've crossed the 90,000 open jobs, um, which means we're going to be rocketing towards 100,000 active open jobs at any given time inside of um, Jazz HR. Um, you know, just knowing what you that talk about magnitude is insane. I mean, that's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. The impact you guys are having. Yeah. So, so just knowing that, um, you know, whenever I started, you know, posting a job online, there might've been some small business tools, but like there was no, like the zip recruiter didn't exist. Um, if you were a small business, if you didn't know indeed existed, so you could play pay-per-click and afford their prices, um, you were, you couldn't afford monster or career builder. You were basically posting um, a job online and, um, you know, or, or on your website and hoping that somebody would find it. And I think the other thing professionally I'm proud of is the fact that um, the DNA of the modern recruiting solution really came from Resumator. Like, like we were the first recruiting solution to actually show you the physical resume in the browser. Go figure. You couldn't show a PDF in a browser in 2009, but we – had a, we had some technology that we did that allowed you to do that, from custom workflows to a lot of the stuff that makes recruiting more efficient. Um, you know, me not really knowing what didn't exist, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I think that, you know, we really kind of pushed recruiting software forward. Um, and I think in looking off into the future, uh, I'm very much interested in the future of work, um, and I'm very much interested in um, what work looks like in the future. So my new company, Goalie, we're very much focused on the idea of, you know, um, how do you help um, uh, disperse teams and remote companies better collaborate? 
um, and build culture whenever there's either multiple offices or no office at all. Um, so I'm just I'm I'm really excited about the idea of you know HR is really sort of the last unconquered frontier in software as a service in terms of a core business function. It's not conquered yet. Like you don't have a sales force of HR where it permeates all the way down to SMB all the way up into the into big enterprise. And playing in that world means we have an opportunity to make a huge impact on a lot of businesses. So that's what makes me really excited. That, that's what gets me up every single day. Love that. And, and so you, uh, one of the, I mean, so one of the reasons why I was super excited to have you on the show is because you are where I hope to be, you know, after we've, you know, scaled up and, and, and either sold or grown or done whatever, wherever direction we're headed. And so it's been, it's been fun to sort of track the progress of your organization, but also to, you know, have you as a guest on the show. But what advice would you have for yourself as a founder at age 28, 29, 30, when you were back, you know, in, in the weeds every single day? But what advice would you have for yourself back then? Um, I think a couple of things. One, I think I would say is um, know what field you're playing on. Like, and that would be, and, and, and whenever my 28-year-old says, what the hell does that mean? I would respond with, um, you got to know what traction in tech looks like because when you get that traction in tech, that's whenever you make your moves and that's whenever you become aggressive. Um, you're in a small town, you know, recognize that, you know, re recognize what real, I, I'll never forget Sean Emirati, one of my investors, he said, you know, you got to know where the bar really is, not where the bar in Pittsburgh is. And that really helped me. So that's one thing I would kind of reinforce. I think another thing would be um, uh, uh, relentlessly, like, like relentlessly, if, if you don't like it, who cares, relentlessly run your business on metrics, like just relentlessly. Um, uh, and no metric is too small. Um, I think, um, you know, one of the interesting things about um, Pete, and, Pete and I used to talk about how, like, we learned or we saw different things in each other. And, and, I, re and I remember whenever I think I, over a quarter percent of our business or something is um, indirect now. And I remember when we would have like two channel partners and we'd maybe go up a third to a third. And I and my the entrepreneur in me who wants to run fast, fast, fast would think, oh my God, that's going so slow. But the the ability to basically say, if you you know, what gets measured gets done, continually work your business through metrics. Because when you see a number, you think about how to change it for the better. Um, that's probably one of the most important lessons I would give myself as a younger person. And I think the last thing that I would probably say um, is um, balance. That, um, you know, balance does not necessarily mean you're an entrepreneur who wants to have your cake and eat it too, that you want to have fun and you, you don't want to have to work hard or whatever else. But um, burnout is real. And, and, um, either it be through exercise, through interaction, um, you need to make sure that you figure out the right work-life balance. In other words, instead of working 16 hours a day, working 14 hours a day actually would have a dramatic impact on your life. I'm not going to act like being an entrepreneur means you try to do 8, 8, and 8. It doesn't happen. But, um, uh, I, you know, I've been through some, I've been through a lot of, uh, you know, stress and so forth throughout my career um, because I, I'm so hard on myself. Um, 
and um, I would probably tell myself a little bit to not beat yourself up as much, get more sleep. Um, and I'm doing that now. Um, and I feel like that's making me a better entrepreneur. That is uh, everything I need to hear. And, and you know, I, I take uh, that advice as, you know, speaking directly to me because it's an interesting stage that we're at. And I, I can totally uh, empathize with the fact that there are some days you wake up and you have 25, 26 hours worth of work. And there are some days you wake up and you need to figure out what you actually have to get done. And so the stress of that and the fun of that can get away from you in a hurry. And so I, I can see how burnout happens really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, Don, I, uh, I want to leave, uh, give you the opportunity. Is there anything else, uh, you know, you want to leave the audience with or anything like that? It's been a blast. It's been awesome. So excited to have you as a guest on the show. Is there any, anything you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, I think I would leave them with this is that um, people romanticize the idea of being an entrepreneur and, and entrepreneurs who are successful do a terrible job of, of humanizing themselves in terms of, you know, how basic regular people they are. Um, because people, you know, it's aspirational. Like, you, like when you look at an actor, you think they've done something special they haven't. So, so I, I think that what I would leave the audience with is um, – don't look at entrepreneurialism as something that's, you know, extremely out of reach unless you figure out something something about yourself or you do something special. Um, don't think of entrepreneurialism as building a billion-dollar business. Don't start with Mark Zuckerberg. If, you're, if you have a $4 million of your business, you're doing better than 99.999% of human beings in the history of the world. Um, and lastly – don't feel bad if you haven't started a business or you're not an entrepreneur. Um, you, the only thing you owe yourself is the conscious decision to be an entrepreneur or not be an entrepreneur. That's what I tell people. That way you'll never have the regret of wondering, should I have started a business? You, you just owe yourself, like, learn what it takes, research, think about ideas that you might have, and then you can decide whether or not being an entrepreneur is in your DNA or not, but you owe yourself that decision that you need to make that a conscious decision because I think all of us, whenever we're on our deathbeds, would like to feel like we lived a fulfilled life and doing something for yourself is often one of those things. So, you know, doing something for yourself doesn't have to be an entrepreneur, but, you know, you owe it to yourself to make the decision, make a conscious decision to be one or not be one. That I think is a perfect way to wrap it up, seal it up. Cause that's, that's such a good word. Thank you so much for, uh, for being a guest. This has been a blast. All right. It's been fantastic. And you know, um, best of luck to you as an entrepreneur and uh, if there's anything I could do to help you. I love, I, I love giving people some of the help that people help me with along the way. So anytime chat, anytime. Perfect. And thanks again for the partnership with jazz HR. It's been, been great. And I'm, I'm excited for what's to come. Yeah, well, you know, I got to thank the Pete and all the rest of the team there for that. Um, I'm, I'm just a board member nowadays. Um, in fact, I'm going there this weekend. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I look forward to it being a fruitful partnership.